printed thousands of postcards with a photo of Fanny sitting behind bars in her jail cell in Fairmont. Hi, and welcome to Labor History Today. Today's show comes to us from Labor's Untold Stories, hosted by Marty Horning. As Women's History Month continues, Marty pays tribute to some of the women, both past and present, who have helped build and who are now leading the American labor movement. And there's plenty of good music, too. If you're not already familiar with the Labor's Untold Stories podcast, do check it out. Marty's show is a weekly journey through the rich history of labor's struggles for a better world, using narratives, songs, and interviews to share this vital history. On this week's Labor History in Two, remembering Susan B. Anthony. The year was 1906. This is the day the world lost a great champion of women's and workers' rights. I'm Chris Garlock, and this is Labor History Today. Welcome. You are listening to episode 14 of Labor's Untold Stories. I'm your host, Marty Horning. Today's episode celebrates Women's History Month. We honor and celebrate our sisters' contributions to the labor movement, past and present. Women in labor want to know... Indeed, which side are you on? The Freedom Singers. I invite you to join me every Wednesday evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on River West Radio, WXRW 104.1 FM, or streaming on the Internet at riverwestradio.com. Labor's Untold Stories is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network at laborradionetwork.org a group of labor-based radio shows and podcasts. We will journey through the rich history of organized labor's struggle for a better world. We will use narratives, songs, and interviews to share this vital history with you, the listener. I'm a proud former A.O. Smith Steelworker, Local 19806, and a proud retired member of the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association, WEA, and the NEA. To begin, why labor stories? According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, in 2020, the percent of wage and salary workers who were members of unions, the union membership rate, was 10.8%. Barely one in 10. 
1983, it was double that. And in the late 1950s, it was almost double that. I grew up in the shadow of unionized workplaces, including Alice Chandler's Manufacturing Company, where my dad worked. So did most of my friends. Union stories were passed down to children, and many families participated in union-sponsored activities like picnics, bowling, and softball leagues. Now, for many people, unions, their traditions and stories, aren't a part of our lives. Who will pass on the stories about Lucy Parsons and Mother Jones? Who will remind the youth that the eight-hour day and the 40-hour work week were earned with workers' blood and struggle? And who will make the connection to young workers in struggles like Fight for 15 and a union? Solidarity shout-out to Collectivo coffee workers, Starbucks coffee workers, and teachers at non-union Carmen charter schools all have unionization drives going on here in Milwaukee. I also want to give a shout out to our sisters and brothers in UAW Local 578 up in Oshkosh. I joined them on Saturday at a rally to demand that their um, employer, Oshkosh Truck, make the NGPV, or the Next Generation Postal Vehicle, which we're going to pay for, fellow taxpayers, they should make that here in Wisconsin. As you may have heard, the company announced after it got the contract that it would build those vehicles at a non-union plant in South Carolina. Oshkosh Labor Force in Wisconsin has been a UAW shop since 1937. Union Wisconsin workers have the skill and capacity to produce these vehicles. Republican Senator Ron Listerine Cures COVID Johnson supports the corporate leadership and has said that Wisconsin doesn't need the 1,000 jobs this contract will create. Tell that to the thousands of workers in the Fox River Valley who are still working for 12 or 15 bucks an hour without benefits. In my small way, I hope to continue the tradition of those who have preserved and kept alive those stories. And as a theme song, I've chosen one of the most recognized labor songs in our history. It's a song born of struggle, and it has been sung by strikers, coal miners, and public sector union workers on the steps of our capital 11 years ago. It is called Which Side Are You On? And it was written by Florence Reese. And today's kick inversion was performed by the Freedom Singers. As I announced, this episode explores the lives and work of women in the labor movement. Have you ever heard of Fanny Sellens? Fanny helped to organize thousands of steel and iron workers in western Pennsylvania's Alikiski Valley. She was born Fanny Mooney in New Orleans in 1872. She later moved with her family to St. Louis, where she worked in a clothing factory and helped organize Local 67 of the United Garment Workers. Her union activities brought Fanny to the attention of Van Bittner, president of the United Mine Workers District 5. In 1913, she went to work for the UMWA in Collars, West Virginia, aiding families who had been driven out of their homes by the Pennsylvania and West Virginia Coal Company. Fanny moved to Alley Kiskey Valley in 1916, where her work with the miners' wives proved to be an effective way to organize workers across ethnic barriers. Her work, she wrote, was to distribute clothing and food to starving women and babies, to assist poverty-stricken mothers and bring children into the world and to minister to the sick and to close the eyes of the dying. She was arrested once in Collier, West Virginia, for defying an anti-union injunction. 
Fanny had promised to obey the judge's order against picketing, but she returned to Collier's and immediately broke her promise by challenging U.S. District Court Judge Alston Dayton to arrest her, which he did. With the help of U.S. Congressman Matthew M. Neely, the UMWA waged a public relations campaign to obtain a presidential pardon for Fanny. The union printed thousands of postcards with a photo of Fanny sitting behind bars in her jail cell in Fairmont. And on the back of the card was the address of the White House. She also recruited black workers who had originally come north as strike breakers into the UMWA. During a tense confrontation between townspeople and armed company guards outside of the Allegheny Coke Company mine in Brackenridge, on August 26, 1919, Fanny Sellens and minor Joseph Streleski were brutally gunned down. A coroner's jury and trial, which ended in 1923, ended up acquitting the two men accused of her murder. Here's a tribute to Fanny, whose heroism deserves more recognition. This is Fanny Sellens by the great Anne Feeney. In labor's glorious history was many a union maid Who stood up to the bosses so staunch and unafraid Molly Jackson, Mother Jones fought for a better way But let's sing of Fanny Sellens and remember her today by deputies when fanny cried out spare his life they shot her down as well and hundreds watched in horror as this fearless woman fell now the ones who gave the orders faced no charge of any sort and the men who pulled the triggers were acquitted by the court but when companies own the courthouse justice fails for you and me Let's work like Fanny Sellens now for true equality. A widow with four children toiling 80 hours a week Found time to fight injustice and bring power to the meek She fought with tireless energy, no duty would she shirk No murderers have short her life, we carry on her Fanny Salins. Emma Goldman was born in Kovno, Russia, and emigrated to live with a sister in Rochester, New York, when she was 15. Her family's financial hardships forced her to leave school and work in a factory. 
Her first job in America was as a seamstress in a clothing factory. Goldman's political consciousness was shaped by her reading, her first-hand knowledge of miserable working conditions, and most dramatically, by the 1886 Haymarket Affair. In 1889, Emma Goldman moved to New York, where she became a protege of Johann Most, the editor of an anarchist paper. From 1906 until 1917, Emma and her partner, Alexander Berkman, edited and published their own paper, Mother Earth. In 1892, she and Berkman plotted plotted to assassinate the industrialist Henry Clay Frick because they were outraged by Frick's violent treatment of striking steel workers in Homestead, Pennsylvania. Alexander managed to get into Frick's office and did, in fact, shoot him. Frick survived, though, and Alexander was sentenced to 22 years in jail for the attempted killing. Emma was arrested but avoided jail time because there was not enough evidence to prove she had been involved in the plot. Later, though, she was convicted and sentenced to one year in prison for inciting a riot in New York City following an 1893 speech to a mass demonstration of unemployed workers. Again, 1893 was a tremendous depression. She advocated free speech, free love, birth control, women's equality, and the right of labor to organize. She fought against anti-syndicalism laws, the draft, and American intervention in the Russian Revolution. And as World War II As World War I raged in Europe, Congress passed the Selective Service Act of 1917. Goldman saw the decision as an exercise in militarist aggression driven by capitalism. She declared in Mother Earth her intent to resist conscription and to oppose U.S. involvement in the war. To this end, she and Berkman organized the No Conscription League of New York, which proclaimed, we oppose conscription because we are internationalists anti-militarists, and opposed to all wars waged by capitalist governments. On June 15, 1917, Goldman and Berkman were arrested again during a raid of their offices, and both were sentenced to prison for preaching against the war and the draft. Emma was released from prison in September 1919. However, the Justice Department's General Intelligence Division rearrested her as an enemy alien. And on December 21, 1919, Emma and Alexander Berkman were part of a group of 200 men and women who were exiled to the Soviet Union. She became disillusioned with the Soviet Union and the Soviet Revolution and left there for Latvia. Emma continued her activism as an anarchist and a women's rights advocate throughout the rest of her life. She traveled and lived in various countries throughout Europe, including Sweden, England, and Spain. She also traveled to and worked in Canada, where she died on May 14, 1940. She is buried in the German Waldheim Cemetery, now called Forest Home Cemetery, in Forest Park, just west of Chicago, near the graves of those executed in the Haymarket Affair. Here's a musical tribute to Emma, sung by Adam East and Chris Delane. Emma, 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 
playing that song indeed and learning about it actually it's really great our next honoree is elizabeth Gurley flynn elizabeth was a labor leader activist and a feminist who played a leading role in the industrial workers of the world the iww in 1907 elizabeth Gurley finn became a full-time organizer for the iww and attended her first wobbly convention in september of that year over the next few years she organized campaigns among garment workers in pennsylvania silk weavers in New Jersey, restaurant workers in New York, miners in Minnesota, Missoula, Montana, and Spokane, Washington, and textile workers in Massachusetts. Flynn was a founding member of the American Civil Liberties Union and a visible proponent of women's rights, birth control, and women's suffrage. A popular song, The Rebel Girl, was written by labor activist and musician Joe Hill in honor of Flynn. Flynn joined the Communist Party USA in 1936 and later in life in 1961 actually became its chairwoman. Flynn played a leading role in the campaign against the conviction of Sacco Vanzetti. Flynn was particularly concerned about women's rights, supporting birth control and women's suffrage. She also criticized the leadership of trade unions for being male-dominated and not reflecting the needs of women. During World War II, she played an important role in the campaign for equal economic opportunity and a play for and pay for women and the establishment of daycare centers for working mothers. In 1942, she ran for Congress at large in New York City and received 50,000 votes. In June, July 1948, a dozen leaders of the Communist Party were arrested and accused of violating the Smith Act by advocating the overthrow of the U.S. government by force and violence. Flynn launched a campaign for their release, but in, 19, in June 1951, she herself was arrested in a second wave of arrests and prosecuted under the Smith Act. After a nine-month trial, she was found guilty and served two years in a federal prison camp in West Virginia. She later wrote a present mem memoir called The Alderson Story, My Life as a Political Prisoner. After her release from prison, Flynn resumed her activities for progressive and feminist causes. She died during a visit to the Soviet Union, where she was accorded a state funeral with processions in Red Square attended by over 25,000 people. In accordance with her wishes, 
Flynn's remains were flown back to the United States for burial, also in Chicago's Waldheim Cemetery, near the graves of Big Bill Haywood, Emma Goldman, and the Haymarket Riot Martyrs. Here's a little bit of Joe Hill's song, uh, as done by Joe Glazer, The Rebel Girl. There are women of many descriptions In this queer world as everyone knows Some are living in beautiful mansions And are wearing the finest of clothes There are blue-blooded queens and princesses Who have charms made of diamonds and pearls But the only and thoroughbred lady is the rebel girl that's the rebel girl that's the rebel girl to the working class she's a precious pearl she brings courage pride and joy to the fighting rebel boy we've had girls before but we need some more and the industrial workers of the world for it's great to fight for freedom with a rebel girl. Rebel Girl by Joe Hill. Well, we've been honoring women in labor from the past, but I do feel that we need to honor contemporary women in labor as well. Un gran grito para Dolores Huerta. Raised in Stockton, California, Dolores Huerta was exposed at an early age to the local farm worker community. She later became an elementary school teacher, but quickly grew frustrated over the economic disparity she witnessed among her children. She launched her career as an activist by fighting for economic improvements for Latinos. A lifelong labor leader and civil rights activist, Huerta co-founded the United Farm Workers of America, UFW, with Cesar Chavez. Together, they organized the Delano Grape Strike of 1965. That resulted in a workers' contract for which Huerta was a lead negotiator. She is also responsible for the movement's famous slogan, Si Se Puede, or Yes We Can, a rallying cry that lives to this day. Huerta has become a defining voice for rights of workers, immigrants, and women. She was the first Latina to be inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1993. Being a teacher, I can't forget the great Karen Lewis, the late president of the Chicago Teachers Union. Karen Jennings was born in 1953 on Chicago's South Side. She was a, pu- a product of Chicago public schools. She eventually graduated from Dartmouth College, where she earned a degree in sociology and music. She was the only African-American woman in the graduating class of 1974. Lewis came from a family of educators. Her father, mother, and husband all were Chicago public school teachers. She taught high school chemistry in Chicago public schools for 20 years and was a proud member of the CTU since 1988. Her commitment to education resulted in her election as president of the Chicago Teachers Union in 2010. Her goals were to improve Chicago public schools and to stand firmly against the privatization of public education. She believed that students, parents, teachers, and community members are educators' natural allies. Karen successfully led a nine-day strike against the Chicago Board of Education in 2012. I remember going down there for the parade, and it was awesome. 
Chicago Teachers Union negotiated and won higher wages, enhanced teacher training opportunities, and ensured that the board would hire more than 500 new teachers. Two, late, two years later, Lewis actually explored the possibility of running for mayor of Chicago against everyone's favorite creep, Rahm Emanuel, but a brain tumor forced Lewis out of the race and caused her to have to retire. She stepped down as CTU president in 2014, and on February 7th, 2021, Karen Lewis died at age 67. Following her death, the CTU put out a statement that said, Karen did not just lead our movement, Karen was our movement. She bowed to no one and gave strength to tens of thousands of Chicago Teachers Union educators who followed her lead and who live to her principles by this day. She is greatly missed. And finally, how about a shout out to Sarah Nelson, an American union leader who serves as the international president of the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, AFL, CIO. A United Airlines flight attendant since 1996, she previously served as AFA's international vice president. AFA CWA represents nearly 50,000 flight attendants on 20 airlines. And on August 12, 19, uh, 2014, Sarah Nelson was elected to the Aviation Steering Committee of the International Transport Workers Federation, the Global Federation of Transport Unions from 148 countries, representing a combined membership of four and a half million workers. On January 20th, 2019, nearly a month into the shutdown of the federal government, Nelson called for a general strike. Now, ain't that a woman? Yeah. Here in Wisconsin, we are fortunate to have strong women like Stephanie Blumendale, president of the state AFL-CIO, and Pam Fent, president of the Milwaukee Area Labor Council. And I'm proud that my union, the MTEA, is led by my militant union sister, President Amy Mizielko. There are many more to recognize, but time always cuts us short. So let's celebrate, salute all of our sisters in labor with this famous ditty, of course, Union Made. There once was a union made who never was afraid of the goons and the gigs and the company flings and the deputy sheriffs who made the raid. She went to the union hall when the meeting it was called. And when those company boys came round, she always stood her ground. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Till the day I die. All right. Well, it looks like it's just about time to go, folks. So if you're interested in labor history, again, I highly recommend the Wisconsin Labor History Society. You can find them at wisconsinlaborhistory.org. And uh, I also recommend labor-studies.org and southernlaborstudies.org. And don't forget to check us out on the Labor Radio Podcast Network, laborradionetwork.org. Lots of great stuff there. I'll post the references and sources for this show on my website, which is, of course, laborsuntoldstories.org. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, tell your device at home, River West Radio, please. All right. Uh, I also archive these shows on SoundCloud under Turbo Dog. See you next time. Solidarity. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1906. This is the day the world lost a great champion of women's and workers' rights, Susan B. Anthony. 
Born in 1820 in Massachusetts to a Quaker family, Susan is most well-known for her tireless campaign to secure the right to vote for women. But did you know she was also a staunch supporter of women's rights in the workplace? She experienced the unequal treatment of women in the workplace firsthand. In 1848, Anthony was a teacher in New York, where she discovered that male teachers earned $10 a month to teach, while women only earned $2.50. Anthony became involved in the teachers' union, continually advocating for equal pay and advancing the call for the eight-hour workday. She encouraged women, excluded from participation in the labor movement by men, to form their own labor organizations. And in 1870, she helped to found the Working Women's Central Association. Anthony was often rebuffed and ignored by men in her effort to give women a greater voice in the labor movement. In 1869, she took a controversial stand during a strike of union printers in New York. During the strike, she encouraged women to participate in training programs to teach them the printing trade during the strike. She believed that this would prove that women could do the job as well as men. Because of her stance, many within labor labeled her as a strike breaker. In the decades that followed, Anthony continued to build relationships within labor and encouraged women to participate in trade unionism. One of Susan B. Anthony's most often repeated quotes was, join the union girls and together say equal pay for equal work. A call to action that resonates today. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. Yes, her hands may be hardened from labor, and her dress may not be very fine, but a heart in her bosom is beating. That is true to her class and her kind. And the crafters. That'll do it for this week's edition of Labor History Today. You can subscribe to LHT on your favorite podcast app. Even better, if you like what you hear, and we sure hope you do, please like it in your podcast app, pass it along, and leave a review. That really helps folks to find the show. Thanks again to Marty Horning and the Labor's Untold Stories podcast. Catch it every Wednesday evening from 6.30 to 7 Central Standard Time on River West Radio, WXRW 104.1 FM, or streaming on the internet at riverwestradio.com. In addition to the music from the Labor's Untold Stories podcast, today's show featured Johnny Larkadal's version of Rebel Girl. Labor History in Two is a partnership between the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show a labor-themed radio show out of Pennsylvania. Labor History Today is produced by the Metro Washington Council's Union City Radio and the Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor at Georgetown University. The Labor History Today team includes Ben Blake, Patrick Dixon, Leon Fink, Sherry Lincoln, Joe McCartan, Evan Papp, Jessica Pawczak, and Alan Weirdak. For Labor History Today, this has been Chris Garlock. Thanks for listening, keep making history, and see you next time.